Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Coming up on this episode of the Eurotrip, we rewind to Eurovision 1982 with some big-name guests. We find out a bit about a Eurovision presenter's dogs, and breaking news, we've got the participation list for Eurovision 2024. It's time for the Eurotrip. The Eurotrip, when I read that, I was immediately thinking of the movie. Do you know the movie? <laughs> Hi, I'm Leanne. Hello, Leanne. Uh, Leanne, are you a Eurotrip podcast listener? I am, yes! <laughs> <laughs> I, I should say, I met some Eurotrip fans here. I was chatting with people outside the entrance, and they said, Oh, are you, are you Philip Fist? And I said, Yeah, I know you're from the Eurotrip. What did you have for breakfast? It was lot. I did not have a kebab for breakfast. Queen Lorene, Eurovision winner. Did you ever think you would be back here again? I get goosebumps. No way! Martin Ossadar, Executive Supervisor of the Eurovision Song Contest. Welcome to the Eurotrip. Thank you very much. Welcome back, I think it is, right? Hello everybody and welcome to another brand new episode of the Eurotrip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast with me, Rob. Me, James. And today, it is the penultimate rewind of the 2024 series, James. Are we calling it the 2024 series? Let's not get into this again. Not this again. Series, 2024 <laughs> series. The second series of rewind we have done, the penultimate episode of which, the penultimate edition of which, is on the way a little bit later on. Yes, indeed. And we're going to rewind all the way back to 1982, the year of Where is Harrogate? When the Eurovision Song Contest rolled up into this relatively unknown North Yorkshire town. Uh, So, yeah, it's going to be great fun delving into that edition. Uh, Because for me, I don't know about you, Rob, obviously. Well, I was going to say, I don't know about you, Rob. I don't think you were alive. You definitely weren't. Uh, How very rude. It's not one I watched before, but it's a great edition and some great stories with some great guests. Absolutely, I've seen who you've booked for this. Very, very excited. I don't know about you, James, as well, but Eurovision 1982 is the Eurovision that you were always interested in when you first get into Eurovision because you look back through the history of Eurovision and then you see that it was in Harrogate and then the whole thing is basically like, why did that happen? How did that happen? What happened? So today we'll finally find out 
Yes, we will get answers to all those questions. Plenty more on this episode of the Eurotrip as well, because at breaking, just at the time we press record, we finally got the participation list for Eurovision 2024. There's going to be at least 37 countries participating, Rob. Yeah, we'll be talking about that in just a moment. ESCZ has already taken place, so we've listened to the songs and seen them perform that could go on to represent Czechia at Eurovision in Malmo, so we'll chat about that as well. And news about San Remo in Italy. So we've got loads to come. You're listening on Acast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Eurotrip. Yes, let's get straight into things then, because as I just said, uh, news breaking just as we record on Tuesday afternoon, we finally got the participation list for Eurovision 2024. Uh, The EBU said this afternoon that uh, 37 public broadcasters will take part in the Eurovision Song Contest when the world's biggest live music event is staged in Malmo next year. So, James, the same number as we saw in Liverpool? The same number. We, at the moment, have one new country and one that has dropped off the list. So Luxembourg, as announced back in May, uh, they are back for the first time since 1993, which is obviously good fun. And a nice little stat is that it'll be the first time uh, since we've had the founding seven members of the Eurovision Song Contest all taking part in in the same contest. Uh, But at the moment, we've lost Romania, haven't we? Yeah, we've lost Romania, which is sad, although... I did know on the bottom of the the news article that was released when the the participation list was announced that there is still a chance that Romania may participate because I know talks are ongoing between the broadcaster in Romania and the European Broadcasting Union. So that might still happen. And James, you spoke, of course, to Dale from Aussie Vision over in Australia a few weeks ago because we were very unsure as to whether Australia would compete at Eurovision in 2024 because their deal with the EBU expired this year. They're back, but we don't know how long they're back for, but they're definitely back for 2024. They are. I was looking, SBS, the Australian broadcaster, haven't put a press release out, at least when we record late on Tuesday. So they're all I asleep, if... James. They're all asleep. I thought they might have something scheduled for, for the middle of the night their time. So it'll be interesting to see if we get a word on if it's just a one-year deal or if it's a, a multi-year deal. But at least we do know it's definitely going to be 37. Hopefully, uh, we do get Romania back. And and I think the EBU will be working hard to, to get Romania back because naturally they want as many countries taking part as possible. Uh, but if they do come back, it will be the first Eurovision since 2018 that we've had no withdrawals. Uh, so I think there'll be a lot of appetite from the EBU side. You are full of stats today already. We've only just started the episode. I'm all about <laughs> this. I'm sure more will follow with Rewind a little bit later on. And James, we have to mention as well that Israel are on the list at the point at which we are recording. And that will, of course provoke a lot of reaction and it'll be interesting to see how that develops I think that new story over the coming months because if Israel compete that will be a story if Israel eventually aren't in Malmo that will be a story in itself as well yeah it's very much a story within the Eurovision community at the moment so as you say it'll be interesting to see over the coming weeks and months if that develops into the wider news cycle Uh, but we'd love to hear your thoughts on the participation list and anything else Eurovision related of course uh, you can find us online we are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. Hello at EurotripPodcast.com on the email and you can read all of our exclusive stories on EurotripPodcast.com.
so with that then, I was going to say it's time to talk about all the news from the world of the Eurovision Song Contest. Arguably, we've just spoken about the biggest breaking story at the time of recording from the world of the Eurovision Song Contest. 37 participating broadcasters currently at Eurovision 2024. One of them, James, is Czechia, of course. And on Monday night, we saw ESCZ 2024. Minus me and you, not bitter about it at all. Caesar Sampson did a pretty solid job. He's a sexy boy in the old season. <laughs> sexy boy. Well, I should say as well, we neither Rob or me watched the show on Monday night. And it wasn't a boycott thing. No, it was. Just... Tell everyone it was a boycott. We decided against it. We both just happened to be busy on a Monday evening, which is a rarity. So I've not watched the full show back. I've had a a very brief listen to a recap of the songs. And as we spoke to Christoph, their head of delegation, a couple of weeks ago, he did promise good songs. He promised a variety of songs. I think they delivered. I think so. I really liked them. I know there was a few technical problems, I think, on the night, a few sound issues, but it's always going to happen when it's in that kind of venue and there's a live audience and it's the first time they've done something like that for a long time. So fair play to Czech TV for, for putting on a live national final with an audience, as we know, for the first time since 2008. As you said, James, wide variety of songs, lots of different genres represented, which is always nice to see. Have you got a fave? Because we're not we're not part of the presenting team anymore. <laughs> we, we, we can say whether we've got a fave or not. We don't have to be impartial. I feel like I need to listen to the songs in full, which sounds like a cop-out, but I feel like it's unfair to base it off of a very small recap. I think you, you've got one. Have you, have you put a... Put a put a, a pound behind one is that a phrase what did i just say there a pound is, behind one that isn't a phrase at all <laughs> you know I... what i mean though if i had said that confidently you didn't you didn't understood rob have you put a pound behind one of the songs talking of people misappropriating sayings i was out and missed the SEZ, as we've already mentioned and i was with a friend and they used the phrase you know the phrase giving up the ghost james mm-hmm. you're aware of that phrase mm-hmm. um yeah. this this friend thought the phrase was giving up the goose <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you do with the goose. I don't know why you're giving it away. I, I, anyway, I enjoyed it very much. Um, what I think you're looking for is, or at least this, I think works. I've pinned my colours to the mast of one particular song in ESC. Yeah, I guess so. That certainly works better than what I said. Yeah, uh, Lenny, I think is my fave. I thought they were great. I thought it was really, really good, and I can imagine that on the on the Eurovision stage. Yes, and if you're wondering, of course, most national finals take place on one evening and we get the results, and you're wondering why we're not telling you who won. Well, it's because we don't know yet. Just like ESCZ over the last couple of years, uh, we're not going to get a winner for another week. So next Tuesday, so the 12th of December, that is when the results will be announced. And also on that day, I think we find out who's representing Slovenia as well. So the 12th of December, very, very busy day, James. Very busy day on the Eurovision. Indeed. What about Italy, Rob? Because over the weekend, we got the names, didn't we? Who were going to be taking part in San Remo, which I'm not going to call a national final, but you know what? (laughs) In fact, yes, I am. It's still classed as one, isn't it, really? Oh, don't do that. Are you sure? Are you sure you want to call San Remo a national final? De facto. De facto national final. I think I can get away with that. Can't be putting disclaimers in now. Anyway, yes, we have found out who's competing in San Remo 2024, and it is as I think is about to be described in the interview you're about to hear, San Remo All-Stars. Many, many previous Italian representatives at the Eurovision Song Contest involved in this, including Mahmoud, who has only just done it. He, he, of course, was in Turin. He represented Italy on home soil in 2022. You've got Mahmoud in there. You've got Emma Moroni from 2014. You've got Il Volo in there as well. I've definitely missed 
other people. Diodato's back, of course, having not represented Italy in 2020. All-stars. It's stacked. There's my analysis. Yeah, I think your safest bet is probably, if James, you were going to put your pound behind anything, (laughs) your safest bet is probably to put a pound on Italy to finish in the top 10 of the Eurovision Song Contest 2024. Because I think whoever they pick, probably going to do them proud on the stage in Malmo. But to get all the latest on, as we've already turned it, San Remo All-Stars, I've been catching up with the person that we always catch up with whenever there is news happening in Italy. He is Claudio Sartorelli. He is from Eurovision IN, a Eurovision news site over in Italy. And I started by asking him for his thoughts on that stacked lineup. I'm actually quite happy. I mean, it's uh, surprisingly uh, an open competition this year. So the, the list is, it's kind of a Sanremo All-Stars. There's many big names, but I can't really tell right now if there is a, a clear winner already, like it was the case last year, for instance. There are so many huge names in the competition this year that obviously we will have to talk about names that will be well known, of course, to, to people listening to this podcast as well. But Claudia, how does the the list of competitors get put together? Because it, it's all down to one man, isn't it? it all, all down to Amadeus? Yes. So basically, he's the host of the show, but he's also the project manager, art director, uh, selection committee is everything for the show. And indeed, when he's putting together this list, uh, I must say, first of all, he has a very long, um, let's say, experience in the radio and in the TV system. Uh, He has been hosting radio shows, I would say, already in the 80s. So he has a very deep knowledge of the market and good connections as well with the record companies. Uh, Sanremo, in the end, it's the event for any singer in Italy. Uh, Whether you actually want to be part of a competition, you want to win, or just because you want to promote yourself, your upcoming, uh, let's say, new material or a new tour for, for the summer, that's the place to be. And at the end of the day, it's a TV show. So what Amadeus does, it's kind of filling in all the all the boxes to cover every single uh, age group. So we have something for the, let's say, the millennials and up to the boomers and even more. So he's trying to have names that are pleasing a bit of everyone. Claudia, let's talk about some of the huge names in the in the competition this year. So, I mean, some of the names that I'm going to list now are names that people listen to this podcast, Eurovision fans, of course, will probably know. So we've got Emma, who represented Italy, of course, in, in 2014. Il Volo, 2015. Diodato returns. He, of course, would have taken to the stage in Rotterdam in 2020 and did eventually get to perform on the Eurovision stage in 2022. And then Mahmoud as well is back, having done Eurovision in 2019 and most recently in 2022. I mean, those are just some of the massive names in the contest this year. Right. And that's seen on a Eurovision point of view. On an Italian point of view, the the fact that those four, well, a bit more, but still, those four names were in Eurovision before I would say it's rather irrelevant. I mean, the Italian audience still sees Sanremo as a standalone contest. It has nothing to do with Eurovision. And honestly, you know, in the way that Amadeus talks about Eurovision, he's not even interested in that. <laughs> Somehow it's it's 
a nice add-on uh, to the contest itself. So you are taking part to Sanremo because you want to be there, you win the contest, and as a cherry on the top, and I'm not even sure if everyone considers like that, you also get the chance to go to Eurovision. But that's not the ultimate goal for singers to take part to Sanremo. So I would say that probably in that list, those four names are actually not even the strongest. So talk to me about who you think are the strongest names, Ben Claudia. Who, right. should, who should who should people look out for? You know, there might be huge names in Italy. They might be known to Italian listeners or viewers. But for people listening to this, who are the ones they should look out for? Okay, so I would just give you four names because I think that they are the, the ones to, to watch out. Uh, definitely Negramaro. They are huge in Italy. And by huge, I mean that they have done several tours in stadiums and sold out so se for several years so it's really that magnitude um i would say another big name which is alessandra moroso same competition of emma marone so they came out from the same talent show same year and yet she had even bigger success success than emma and somehow never took part to sanremo it's her first time there was I mean, she has been rumored for many years, so there are high expectations on her. Um, and still talking about the same uh, talent show, because it was a top three there, we have Annalisa, who has been huge this year with, a, with two big hits. Uh, so again, high expectations there. And I would say another group that was pure hype throughout the summer, and somehow they made it also internationally, it's The Colors with their song Italo Disco that you might have heard. Uh, it was quite successful in uh, Poland, uh, in the Baltics. So they made it through international charts as well. Uh, don't know what to expect from them, but they they have to be kept in the, uh, let's say, in the group of the favorites. And Claudio, of course, before we finish as well, we have to say this year is special because I'm right in thinking this is this is Amadeus's last year in San Remo. Yes, no, well, you're pulling a face. People can't see this, but you're pulling a face. Right. Difficult to say. I mean, he has been denying that there's an offer to continue, but it's very difficult to say. Rai at the moment is facing big competition from other private channels in Italy. And Saremo is the show that basically makes up to, let's say, 50% of the national TV budget. So they need to capitalize as much as they can that week. And if Amadeus can bring that, well, I'm thinking that they may even extend for another five years. Uh, I'm not specifically in favor because I would like to see a different approach to the show itself and... I would even say enough having a man hosting the show. Uh, but still, he's very successful and he knows what he's doing in terms of cast. So why not? Mario, it's always a pleasure. Thank you very much for chatting to us on the Euro trip. Really appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Bye. When you aren't listening, find us on social media at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. A big thanks as always to Claudio for coming to chat all things San Remo and Italy at the Eurovision Song Contest. It sounds like it's going to be a great show next year for, for fans of San Remo. And yeah, interesting to see if Amadeus comes back again because he was meant to have gone 
by now, hasn't he? And he was, he was tempted back. So I wonder how long he actually stays for. Yeah, because this is being hyped, isn't it, as his last one, which is why we've got this all-star lineup. But by the sounds of what Claudio was telling me, it probably won't be. And I think he'll probably be back. And uh, Rye will do everything they can to get him back. But yeah, you didn't hear it in the interview because me and Claudio chat for quite a long time. So obviously I edited the chat down. But he went on to, to say with me that he thinks, you know, Italy probably a top 10 in Malmo. Anyway, I think it is almost time to rewind. When you say it's almost time to rewind, I would say this music means it is time to rewind, James. It's Yes, it certainly is, yeah. Uh, to Eurovision 1982 in Harrogate. As we mentioned a little bit earlier on, we will explain how and why and what was going on uh, for that to happen. But uh, let's start with setting the scene for 1982 uh, to give you a bit more on what was happening in the world, what the world was like back in the early 80s. So Italy won the Football World Cup in Spain after beating West Germany 3-1. The Falklands War broke out, of course, in the South Atlantic over the disputed territory claims of the Falkland Islands by the UK and Argentina, or Las Malvinas, as it's known in Argentina, Jones. Oh, great knowledge. Yeah, thanks for that. And uh, in the UK chart, Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder were at the number one spot with Ebony and Ivory on the day of the contest. Who did they knock off the top spot, Rob? I can hear you asking. Uh, none other than 1981 Eurovision winners, Buck's Fizz with My Camera Never Lies. A song that I definitely didn't know existed and <laughs> could, couldn't hum a note if you asked me to. Uh, James, another bonus fact of what was happening in the world in 1982, I just did a little mm-hmm. bit of research. Giabatta bread was invented. Was it? Invented in 1982? I know, I always imagined it was a bit of a heritage food from our friends over in Italy. Obviously we've mm. been chatting Italy on the podcast already, but no, it was it was created in a kitchen in Verona in 1982. Oh, thank goodness. I'm a big fan of that bread. Um, anyway, getting back to Buck's Fizz. Well, there's uh, a lot the... of food and drink on the podcast <laughs> this week. <laughs> uh, let's get back to Buck's Fizz. Uh, oh, that's the drink. Yeah, sorry. I was wondering what the drink reference was. That's the drink, yes. And also, it's a very festive drink, James. So it's 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 very apt for the time <laughs> of year that we're recording it is this. It's very timely. Uh, because, anyway, Buck's Fizz, their win in 1981 meant that the UK was awarded hosting duties for the following year. Uh, This would be the UK's seventh time hosting Eurovision, a record that wouldn't be matched until 1997, when Ireland hosted the contest in Dublin. Naturally, there were a lot of cities looking to host in 1982, but it ended up going to Harrogate. But why? Well, here is Eurovision historian and author Gordon Roxburgh with more. The conference sets are literally one of the first venues, as soon as Bucks first had won, or one of the first venues to pitch. You know, the big lights of the Eurovision the following year. And the BBC were also being, as they are even these days, to get it outside of London. So other places consider the Blackpool Opera House and the Manchester Opera House. But also they went for the Harrogate Compton Centre because they opened the facilities for bringing. So yes, the BBC wanted a host outside of London like they did on the previous two editions that they hosted. And Harrogate was offering them the venue for free. But what was it like when Harrogate first threw their hat into the ring? Well, I've spoken to Tony Gill, who at the time was the technical manager of the convention centre. And this is how he recalls it. As we won on the Saturday night, on Monday morning, it was a fairly ordinary day. I went in, 
went into the main office uh, and my boss, who was Tony Miles, who at the time was head of resort services, said to me, don't go anywhere. Uh, and we had all the senior management team there, the sort of six of us. And he sat down and he looked at us and said, we're going to go for the Eurovision Song Contest. And you could have heard a pin drop. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it it was, as I say, sufficiently unusual that we just sort of stood there or sat there and looked at him, you know. Um, and, <laughs> and I can't exactly remember what was said, but, I mean, it was variations on your mad, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> what what... To, to put this in context, at this point, the centre's not finished. James, and I feel like you didn't make enough of that. Sorry, you've you've spoken to the manager of the convention centre. So what's happened here? For this podcast, you have gone out of your way to contact the manager of a convention centre in Yorkshire that he was managing in the 80s. Just to, yes. just to reiterate for everybody. <laughs> Ridiculous. I wasn't, even sure. I wasn't even sure it was the right man I was contacting. I messaged a man called Tony Gale on LinkedIn and said, Hi, Tony. I hope you're the right Tony I'm looking for. <laughs> And if that isn't worth buying us a coffee, I don't know what is. Yes, you can do on buymecoffee.com forward slash Eurotrip podcast. I'll pop all my research on there. And if you are willing to spare a few pounds to help us bring you this podcast every single week, then you are more than welcome to. Now, the convention centre was already years behind schedule, but the management saw an opportunity to bag a huge event which would in turn speed up the building process. After all, if they got the contest, then it just had to be ready, right? Well, the team in Harrogate put in a bid and they were invited down to the BBC's television centre in London to pitch their ideas. Here's Tony again. We went down uh, and we each did individual pitches. So I did on the centres for technical facilities and what we could offer. But basically, everybody was extremely friendly, but it was very difficult to not feel it was all slightly unreal. Because again, we're we're still you know our centre's not finished, and we're an obscure town in the middle of North Yorkshire, you know. But it became very obvious that the questions we were getting were not courtesy questions, and this was quite obviously they were asking serious questions. Uh, and the result came, and we were we were thanked, and as I say, we had lunch. Uh, and I was I was chatting to a gentleman called Bert Houghton, who was one of the or would would be one of the BBC's engineering managers. Uh, and I suddenly felt a hand on my shoulder, uh, and and a voice said, "Bert, would you mind if I borrowed Tony?" And I realised it was James Moyer, who at that time was the head of light entertainment. Uh, and he, he took me aside and said, I've got to tell you, he said, we're, we're very, very impressed with everything we've heard. He said, I have to ask you one question. And he looked me straight in the eye and said, will you be ready? And as you can imagine, that is one of those sort of heart stopping moments where you cross everything and go, yes, we will. Yeah, so when I spoke to Tony, he said at that moment in the room, he felt like the BBC had already actually chosen Harrogate themselves. He said the vibe in the room was one of the BBC wanting to do something different and a bit off the wall. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it, that? I mean, Harrogate hosting Eurovision is a bit like, do you remember when we had the bidding process for, obviously, Eurovision 2023, and you'd get places like Darlington or Wolverhampton or Swindon throwing their hats into the ring. 
I just wish that modern day Eurovision would 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 gamble and do something like that again. Wouldn't it be great? Yeah, let's let's have the winners of Eurovision 2024 do a Harrogate. I wonder I wonder where we'd end up. <laughs> wherever <laughs> wherever you are, whatever country you are, have you got somewhere a similar size to Harrogate with maybe a big leisure centre? That's where we want to do Eurovision in 2025. Now, two days after the pitch, the director of the convention centre, Tony Miles, received a phone call from the BBC to tell him that Harrogate and their as-yet-unfinished venue had been chosen, meaning the workload had to increase just to get it ready in time. Now, because the venue was already being built to modern standards, ready to host events for television, it actually made the BBC's life a lot easier than how they'd had it in their previous six editions of hosting the Eurovision Song Contest. The convention centre already had a computerised lighting desk, which must have been very exciting in 1982, a sound desk and a concert system, so the BBC didn't actually have to bring much equipment with them to the venue in Yorkshire. Uh, let's hear from Tony again, as he recalls another conversation he had with Bert Orton from the BBC. You know, we want to use your lighting desk. Uh, and I said, well, that's absolutely fine. He said, we have one problem. We don't have anybody that can operate it. Uh, and he said, have you got somebody that can operate it? Alistair Scott, who was at that time one of our junior technicians, his particular interest was lighting and lighting design. And I looked at Bert when he said to me, have you got somebody? And I said, yes, I have. And so Bert went off to do something else. And I, I sort of called to Alistair and said, to come here. And I just looked at him and said, how do you fancy operating the desk for the Eurovision Song Contest? And so there's this 19-year-old guy literally standing there and going, wow, <laughs> you sure? And I'm going, yeah, yeah. You're, you're going to be operating the desk for, for the Eurovision Song Contest. The BBC were just so full of praise. And I mean, <laughs> as he said, I mean, funny enough, we discussed this and I, I met him for dinner a, a couple of weeks back. And he said, oh, shit, scared. I said, well, I would have been very surprised if you weren't. You know, um, he said, I, I, was, I was like this, you know. He said, right up until the time we started doing it. And he, and he said, then you don't have time, which you don't. You're just heads down into what you're doing. James, if you ask me, I'm just disappointed that you didn't manage to find that 19-year-old for this edition of Rewind. <laughs> I wonder, what were you doing when you were 19, Rob? Could you have run a lighting desk for, uh, <laughs> for the Eurovision what, Song what, Contest? What was I doing when I was 19 years old? I could barely present a student radio show called The Eurotrip, let alone do a lighting <laughs> desk at the Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> uh, that is, uh, I'm afraid to say, the last we'll hear from Tony on today's episode. But he did want it to be known uh, that they only managed to pull off Eurovision 1982 uh, because of the incredible team that he worked with. He said it wasn't a one-man job. They had an incredible team around them. Here, here. Well, let's get to the participants then, shall we? And after having 20 countries take part in 1981, when of course the UK had won it, Eurovision had lost one of its longest standing countries for the 1982 edition. Well, uh, I don't know whether it's related to Spins winning, but uh, after that, she had one of the main channel in France. They decided that, uh, well, the head of entertainment decided that Eurovision was a monument to drivel. And decides to pull the bronze side of the contest. Um, was born here in 1983. Uh, the second French channel, he too took over the coverage of Eurovision and Bonds. So it was only the second time that uh, France had missed the contest, but also missed 1974. 
which coincidentally was also held in the UK. But the dropouts wouldn't stop there, as another broadcaster pulled the plug just weeks before the final. Uh, despite having already chosen a song and an artist, Greece pulled out at the last moment after the Greek Minister of Culture, Melina Mercury, uh, said she wasn't happy with the quality of the entry. Although other sources say that Greece was actually forced to withdraw because the selected song uh, had been based on a Greek folk song and was therefore ineligible to compete. This happens, I was going to say all the time, not all the time, but more often than you think, doesn't it? Where countries have a song and a singer and then don't end up participating in Eurovision. I think we saw it in 2005 with Lebanon. Uh, We saw it with Georgia, didn't we? I think it was that 2009 they were forced to withdraw. We've seen it many times before. This is not a this is not an old Eurovision thing. It's still happening now. <laughs> uh, either way, uh, depending on what the reason was for Greece having to pull out, it meant that only eighteen uh, countries would be competing on the night, the lowest since Eurovision was last held in the UK in nineteen seventy four. Now, before we get to the songs that actually did get performing on the evening, let's chat about the presenter of the contest. Now, during the 70s and 80s, Jan Leeming was one of the most recognisable faces on British television. She'd hosted a number of news and current affairs programmes across the BBC. Now, for this episode of the podcast, I have spoken to Jan. uh, Hold on, James. Hold on, James. You've done what? (laughs) Yeah, I've just had a lovely chat with Jan Leeming. You call her up, you send her an email. Did you send her a LinkedIn message like the fellow from the convention (laughs) centre? This was more of a standard approach, I must admit. Yeah, we had a lovely chat on Saturday morning, slightly interrupted by her two dogs, by the way, I should say. They did get a bit yappy uh, towards the end. She's got two, I made a note of this because I thought you might want to know. She's got two French papillons, I think, is that right? I'm not a dog man. You're not Um, a dog man, which is one of your biggest flaws. Hold on. Yeah, you can look that up while I tell you. They're two French papillons, I think, and they're called called uh, Rene mm. and Dida. Oh, nice. So French uh, papillons with, with Frenchish names. It either, they're either called that or they were called that in the Kennel Club and she renamed oh, them Rory sake. and Diamond. <laughs> I just made some very quick notes at the end. I wasn't really sure. Yeah. Well, I did appreciate that. Thank you very much. I have just looked uh, looked them up, the French papillon. Quite a small dog, James. Quite a small, small dog, which they- often are often are yappy. Mm, they did sound small, yes. Anyway, yeah, so I've been speaking to Jan Leeming, I should say, uh, to find out more <laughs> of her memories of Eurovision 1982. Uh, here she is telling me about uh, what it was like to be asked to host. Being asked to host Eurovision, nothing could have been further from my mind. I'd given it a sort of cursory look over the years. I was totally shocked when I was asked and very honoured and very delighted. Do you remember why it was you who was asked this time? I have got absolutely no idea. Um, I mean, I don't know why they didn't use Katie again, possibly because they had used her for four years and they thought they wanted a different face, but no idea, absolutely no idea. It might have been a sort of lucky dip. So once she'd been chosen, Jan then had to prepare, of course. Uh, And in her autobiography, Addicted to Love, uh, you can listen to that as well online as a podcast. Uh, She says she went on holiday to learn the script. Here's what she told me. Well, I didn't exactly go on holiday to rehearse it. I was going on holiday anyway with my husband and um, we were going to visit friends in Hong Kong. So we decided, because Jonathan was only a tiny baby, that we'd leave him with my mother and just enjoy a bit of freedom. But, of course, in my case, 
I had the script. And um, because apparently I have a relatively good French accent, but uh, far, far from fluent, and I'm, I'm more fluent now than I was then 40 years ago. Um, so I had to learn it all because, of course, it was a huge hall, the Harrogate Conference Centre, brand new. I mean, this was its christening. And the cameras were too far away. And on those days, autocue was in its infancy. So there was nothing for it but to try and learn the whole thing by heart. It is worth saying that Jan did actually have cue cards during the show. But actually, if you watch it back, she very rarely actually relies on them uh, too much. So clearly that trip to Hong Kong did work wonders. But what about being beamed to over 300 million people across the globe? That that figure changes every year, doesn't it? Just <laughs> sounds like we just pick a number out. 300 million we're going for in 1982. <laughs> anyway, what was it like for Jan? Here's what she told James. When I first started on television, it was actually in Australia, although I am English, born in Kent. And I was a presentation announcer at the ABC in Sydney, which is equivalent to the BBC. And we had a presentation director. And not only did he stop me fiddling and windmilling on air, which is something these days so many presenters do, and it just drives me nuts. He sat me in a chair facing a wall and then looking back to camera so that I was at an angle where I, I couldn't move. And that was doing the news and doing continuity. And he said, remember, Jan, always remember you're an invited guest in somebody's living room and treat it as such. So, you know, 365 million. So it was just a bigger family in the living room. OK, so let's get to the music, shall we? The songs that were competing on the night. We'll start with song number three in the running order, which is Norway, Jan Tegan and Anita Scorgan with Adieu. Now, Jan and Anita were no strangers to Eurovision. Anita had represented Norway in 77 and 79, and Jan had done it in 78, recording Norway's, oh, bless him, fifth ever last place and their second nil point. Uh, if you think that's it, then you're wrong. The pair did join forces <laughs> again, and they wrote Norway's entry for 1983. Jan was, in fact, the lead artist. Anita provided backing vocals. Oh, my goodness. And Anita then came back again in 88 as a songwriter for the Norwegian entry. Again, if you think that was it, then you're still wrong. Because oh, these two sake. love the Eurovision Song Contest and have taken part in Norway's National Final Melody Grand Prix collectively more than 20 times, either as performers or songwriters. Uh, and Jan actually holds the record uh, appearing in the competition 16 times across his career. He's a big name, actually, in Norway, and I didn't realise until researching this. Uh, he passed away in 2020. And had so many tributes. Uh, I'll pop some of them in on Buy Me A Coffee, some of the articles from when he passed away. But he was clearly a huge name in Norway. 16 appearances in Melody Grand Prix is quite the record from, from Jan. Well, shall we move on then to song number four? And it was an early draw for the United Kingdom, the host entry, represented in 1982 by the duo Bardo with One Step Further. I could have taken one step further. Put her in there, you could have turned around and looked the 
Uh, yeah, Rob, this was quite literally one step further uh, into the world of Eurovision oh, for the duo. No. Come on. <laughs> At least for Sally Ann Tripler, anyway, who had previously represented the UK in 1980 as part of Prima Donna with Love Enough for Two. They finished third in the contest that year in the Netherlands. Of course, we covered Eurovision 1980 and Prima Donna's participation in Series 1 of Rewind, which you can find in our feed as a very recent Rewind Revisited. Yes, indeed. Now, Stephen Fisher, on the other hand, uh, he was the other member of Bardo. Uh, he was brand new to the contest, but he had auditioned to be part of Buck's Fizz a few years earlier. The pair... Uh, Stephen and Sally, uh, met while starring in a pantomime here in the UK. I was expecting a, oh no, they didn't. Yeah, no, oh no, they didn't. Sorry, I've, I'm, <laughs> I've been put in charge of a candle during the recording, James, and it's, it's worrying me. <laughs> uh, Sally said at the time, uh, starring in Panto, uh, we looked at each other. Oh started... no, they didn't. Sorry, is that too late? Oh, it's, it's too late. It's too late. Never mind. Okay, sorry, carry on. It, it is the season for it, though. We've, another timely reference. I must admit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sally we put on said... Eurovi- sorry, 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 sorry. I won't interrupt again. Should we do a Eurovision pantomime next year? Should we put that on? That is well and truly in your hands. I'm not being a part of that. Who would do what? Who would do what? Rambo as the Ugly Sisters? I don't know. <laughs> Both of them, apparently. We could do, we'd do all sorts. Anyway, you can you can think about that over the course of the 12 months. Uh, back to Sally. So she said, uh, we looked at each other and started singing and our voices just blended. It was like one voice. It was really odd. And then we fell in love. I beg your pardon. <laughs> you know, you're talking about Stephen, not me. <laughs> oh, sorry. Blimey. I thought this podcast had gone elsewhere then. Anyway, in Gordon Roxburgh's Songs for Europe book... Feel a bit ill. In Gordon Roxburgh's <laughs> Song for Europe book, she goes on to recall how they were chosen to perform the song, which went on, of course, to win a place in the UK's national final. Now, she said Stephen was singing for Nicola Martin, the music producer who had put Buck's Fizz together, and she then invited me in to sing as well. We sang together, and then we went back out and sat in the reception area. Nicola said, I was going to look for a group, but now I just want you two to be in it. Mm, how the stars aligned, yeah. So Bardo won the national final in the UK by just seven points, and all eight songs were separated by just 23 points. As was commonplace, the winning songwriter, Simon Jeffries, was invited on stage to collect the trophy. He recalls what happened next. He says, this guy came up to me and said, I suppose you would like to have that trophy engraved. I was thinking, yes, I'd quite like that. And I gave it to him. Next moment, he was gone. I didn't think anything of it at the time, assuming I would get the trophy back. And I've never seen it again. Wow. Well, there we are. There's another mystery. If me and you were ever to launch a true crime podcast, series one will focus on what happened to the Song for Europe 1982 trophy. Eurovision. I'm trying to think. The Eurovision Crime Files with James and Rob. Working title, I must admit, that's, no, that's I, off the cuff. I, I don't hate it, coming to a podcast feed near you. I'm only half joking. <laughs> anyway, to so song number nine now, and it's Chips for Sweden with Dag after Dag. So 
James, does that translate as day after day? Is that my, it my, does. Rough, my rough Swedish? It does. Tremendous pronunciation. Might need a bit of work, but yeah, you've nailed it. <laughs> It wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, there wasn't enough intonation on the vowels, as they often like to do over there. <laughs> so chips were made up of two big names that may just ring a bell. Uh, they were Kiki Danielson and Elizabeth Andreessen. Now, as was the case with the other two songs we've focused on so far, the pair have wider connections to the Eurovision Song Contest. In 1981, they made their first appearance in Melody Festivalen, finishing second, just two points off the win. They then split up in 1983 and went their separate ways, but would meet again at Eurovision 1985, when Andreessen would represent Norway as one half of Bobby Socks. And, of course, win the contest. And Danielson, of course, would again represent Sweden and finish third. Andreasen has then since represented Norway two more times, both in the 90s. And both of them have made a handful more appearances as performers and songwriters in Melody Grand Prix and Melody Festival. So a bit like the duo from Norway, they've gone on to have a huge run uh, of appearances in national finals too. They just love it in the Nordics, don't they? There's not a lot to do in the winter. It's quite dark. There's not much else <laughs> happening. So let's write a song and let's compete in a national final. That's what they all tend to do and, and still do to this day. Now then, we have finally made it to the final song of this show. And I think you've probably guessed who it is at this point. It was Germany and Nicole with Ein Bischen Frieden. Of course, the eventual winner of the contest. The song itself was written by Ralph Siegel, a man who has gone on to become a stalwart of Eurovision. This was his seventh song in the contest since 1974, and he'd go on to write a further 17 more, the most recent in 2017 for San Marino. And James, I'm pretty sure he's potentially got a song in the Luxembourg national final this year as well. Oh, uh, is that true? Or is that is that a rumour? I've not heard that, actually. Uh, that's what my sources have been telling me. Oh, interesting. Well, let's hear from Jan Leeming again with her reflections on the song. I think we were all totally taken aback that she won. It was so different from anything else in the show. Maybe it was because it was sweet. She was 17. It was all about peace which, you know, is always very important. But we were all totally taken aback that she won. So was she. I mean, so were her group. There they all were, just absolutely shocked that she had won. Now, we'll round up the full results in just a moment. And, of course, hear a snippet of Nicole's song. But for one final time, let's hear some of James's chat with Jan on what it was like to present arguably one of the most stressful parts of any contest. It all went fairly smoothly. And I think one of the few people to make a mistake was me. I can't remember exactly what I did, but I know that I said something like, I've got so many cards in my hands, I could play a card game with myself, which is a pretty stupid thing to say, but at least it filled filled a blank. Um, And then when they announced uh, Nicole as the winner, I think maybe because they hadn't expected to win. I don't know where they were. But they took an absolute age to come to the stage. And I saw the poor floor manager, Peter, you know, dragging them through the crowd. And as they came on stage, again, um, I didn't see, I think it was the um, uh, the composer. And I made an excuse for him and turned around and there he was behind me. 
But also Peter, the um, the floor manager, got him shot a couple of times, which he shouldn't have done. And, and that's why I remember his name, because I worked with dozens of floor managers over the years. But I do remember Peter. The results then, Nicole won for Germany, Israel was second, Switzerland finished third and Belgium came fourth. Bardo, as we heard before, for the UK ended up seventh on the leaderboard, Chips for Sweden were eighth and Norway were twelfth. Well, James, a sterling effort on the penultimate rewind of the season. And to wrap it up, let's hear from Nicole one more time then with the winner. It's Ein Bisschen Frieden. Ein bisschen Frieden, ein bisschen Sonne. Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. When you aren't listening, find us on social media at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Welcome back to the Eurotrip Podcast, another lovely little edition of Rewind there. I was really pleased with that. And it means we've got one more to bring you for the series. One more next week, Rob. You're in charge of it. I am in charge, and we are bringing things slightly more up to date, aren't we, with the final rewind of the series. And it is linked in some way to next year's contest. 
and indeed this year's contest. And that's all I'll say. Fair. I th- might have given that away, but that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> have I given it away? Oh, I don't think I've given it away. I won't say oh, anything well. else. Get your guesses in at YouTube Podcast or on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, but before we wrap up, it is time, of course, for the one second song. I am in charge of choosing duties this week, Rob. Uh, scores on the doors, do you remember? Yeah, you're 7-0 up, which is remarkable, given your form over the last couple of years. Okay, well, a chance for you to add four points to your tally. Uh, Let's hear it for the first time, this week's One Second Song. Oh, no. Now, this is one of those that I should know, and I'm not sure I do. Mm. Well, as you internally deliberate, uh, he's looking for, for four points, the name of the song, the artist the country it represented, and the year it took part in the Eurovision Song Contest. Let's see how many points you can get at home. Uh, You can hear it one more time. Oh, I'd love to say that's helped. I don't know if it has, you know. But you you seem like you do know it, but you just can't put your finger on it. Well, yeah, I'm aware it's a song that's competed at the Eurovision Song Contest (laughs) in the the past, yeah. Uh, It just gives off the feel of a song that wasn't in Eurovision that long ago, which is what's upsetting me. Okay, okay. Do you want to put a yeah on that? Um, I'm going to go with, this is completely wrong, but I don't know why it gives the impression of a song that might might be this one. Um, San Remo, San Remo, oh for goodness sake, not San Remo, <laughs> San Marino. Uh, San Marino 2018? Was it Jessica and Jennifer and that little robot thing? Hmm. I am what I am or whatever it was called. You am I. <laughs> I am what I am. I don't know what it was called. Let's call it I I, I am what I am. San Marino, Eurovision 2018. I don't think that is even correct, let alone being the right answer. Well, let me put you out your misery straight away. Zero points, I'm afraid. Not a, not a single strike on your tally. Honestly, and I think I'm right in saying, that means that I will have, I'll have zero points at Christmas. How sad. That is very sad. Well, let me put you out your misery entirely and tell you that we actually went back to 2006. Oh, further than I thought. So a bit further than you thought, but definitely a time you were uh, a fan of Eurovision. So definitely in your Eurovision lifetime. Uh, But that was the Swiss entry that year. Uh, um, Two two for one, all for one, something like that. Oh, close. You've hit the post twice, I think. Six for one. Oh, yeah. Two for one, Uh, sorry. I was thinking about (laughs) when I went to the co-op earlier today. (laughs) Uh, With If We All Gave A Little. Everybody has a dream What will come and what will be And hopes it soon Will be reality But a dream is not enough There's so much we gotta do to overcome that bit of blue Cause we are no one hand alone Can never move a rock of stone It takes us all, me and you From memory, not a good song. Uh, well, look, it came 16th out of 24 in the final. 
There's a statistic for you. So did did better than Daz, right? Uh, I, I forgot Daz was the same year. Yeah, Daz. He finished nineteenth, didn't he? So yeah, a few oh, places. But he didn't. But he didn't like that. <laughs> um, uh, there is a slight connection to this edition of the podcast. I'm all right in thinking this was one of those bands that were put together for Eurovision, and every member of the band was from a different country. Is that correct? Oh, I don't know off the top of my head. It seems likely, potentially. Yeah, it was. Uh, forgive me, Wikipedia. It does a great job anyway. But uh, it was a six six form was a six piece super group formed in November two thousand five for the sole purpose of representing Switzerland at Eurovision. They were Bulgaria uh, twenty eighteen before Bulgaria twenty eighteen knew they'd be a thing. Indeed. Um, and yes, that's not the connection. But that song, Rob, was written by Ralph Siegel. Ralph Siegel, ah. indeed, yes, the writer of the winner in 1982. Ah, very good. Uh, do I get a point for that? Probably not. Uh, I'm going to say no. Not even. Yeah, I think I think it's probably safest for me and you trying to remember the score that you say no. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so, yes. it, so it so it remains. Uh, you seven, me nil, and it means that next week in the final edition of the One Second Song Before Christmas, uh, you will have a chance to go into the Christmas break with an 11 point lead. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing a song from 1959 or something. Just You'll be getting a song from 1955. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so it's 7-0 currently. Hopefully you've got a few more points than Rob does uh, at home. Do let us know. Uh, you can get in touch with us anytime for all your thoughts about the podcast or anything else Eurovision related. We are online at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter, uh, Instagram and TikTok. Hello at EurotubePodcast.com on the email and you can read all of our exclusive stories on EurotubePodcast.com uh, until we're back with a brand new episode which will be in seven days time. The final edition of Rewind for the series. You can subscribe, leave us a review and rate us five stars. For me, James, it's goodbye. And for me, Rob, it's goodbye. you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, 
Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.